today I want to talk about uh, how a broken heart opens the heavens. How a broken heart opens the heavens. Uh, I was uh, a youth pastor for years, and when I was a youth pastor, we had the, the honor, the privilege to host uh, a season where the Lord moved in power, moved in a, in a revival spirit in our youth group. It was a powerful time. We saw hundreds and hundreds of young people give their lives to the Lord in a very short period of time. We had, we had so many people that were giving their lives to the Lord. We weren't even counting rededications. We were only counting first-time salvations. And we saw 600 teenagers get saved in a six-month period of time, which for us, that was, it was quite a bit. And, uh, and it was a season of revival. And then um, about eight or nine years ago, the Lord again began to move in the in the ministry at IHOP, and, and we had another season of revival. And in that season, it was a little different, whereas the first time that I experienced an outpouring of the Lord, it was, it was uh, a lot of repentance and salvation. This, that, that last one, maybe eight years ago, it was mostly healing. We had a thousand recorded physical healings in a nine-month period of time. I mean, people's eyes being healed. Every, every ailment from cancer to a, like an ingrown toenail. I mean, everything was getting healed. And, um, but what's interesting to me is in both of those seasons, the Lord gave this exact same passage to describe how he moves in revival. Now, what's again interesting is it's not a revival scripture per se. It's a scripture about the flood of Noah. And so Genesis 7:11, I want to read it and then I just want to give a little explanation to it. And if I don't get through, we'll do part one and part two again. But uh, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. All the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the Lord used this scripture for us in these two different seasons of revival to show there is this dual component to when the Lord pours out his spirit. Now, I know it's about the flood of Noah, and I know it's about the rains falling from heaven. But most people don't realize this, that in the days of Noah, it had never rained before. It was dew that came up and watered the earth. And so there were massive underground tributaries of water. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what you call those. Somebody that's smarter than I am, geology person, would know. But there are these underground water cisterns, underground thing. You know what I'm talking about. Those things are there. Well, those things exploded. And the waters first broke out of the earth. And it was when that the earth was broken open that then the heavens were opened. And this is a picture that the Lord gave us about revival that there has to be a breaking in the hearts of men unto an opening of the heavens. And so when hearts on earth break, then the heavens open. And there's this dual component. Well, what's interesting is out of the blue, I mean, 
whenever I was a youth pastor, you know, we're talking, I mean, dark ages, like <laughs> years and years ago, uh, the Lord highlighted this verse. And then fast forward like eight or nine, ten years later to about eight years ago. And then the Lord, again, through other people, highlighted this same verse. Well, it's interesting to me because the Lord brought this back to my mind about a month ago. And we were in a prayer meeting. And um, one of our friends who, who, had, who had been a part of the house of prayer years ago and then had to move away. He was back for just, just this afternoon, and that particular afternoon. And he, he, he's sitting there in the prayer meeting and he goes... Uh, the Lord's resting on him and he's really quiet and, and then you know we kind of break up and then he comes back around like 15 minutes later he goes I've got something I need to share with you and I go yeah he goes and no one's talking about this verse he goes the Lord's speaking Genesis 7 verse 11 and, and, and there that verse is again and I feel like the Lord is trying to prep us we know this but prep us for a season of visitation for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and so for that verse to get highlighted again, I'm like, wow. And so here's the thing. There is a brokenness that has to take place in the hearts of people that coincides with the breaking open of the heavens when the Lord pours in his glory. And if men are, and women are unwilling to be broken before God, there really is nothing for God to, to pour himself out on because Fallowed ground doesn't receive rain. You know what fallowed ground is? It's that ground that's been, you know, worked over so many times and it's been heated and cooled and heated and cooled to it's just hard, like, I mean, just almost like concrete. The rain comes on that kind of a ground and it just goes off the side. So there is a required brokenness. And I think this is maybe why the Lord won't let me get off it because he's trying to get something rooted in me, but rooted in us, I think, as a spiritual family. There's a required brokenness that is a precursor to a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I was talking to uh, Pastor Todd Smith up at the, the Dawsonville Christ Fellowship. God is calling. Um, and I asked him, I go, tell me about the first days when you guys were hosting kind of this, this, this move of the Spirit that God's doing in your church. He said, oh, for the first eight weeks, it was all about brokenness. It was all about brokenness and repentance and people coming clean. I said, wow, really? I hadn't been thinking about that. He told me that like, you know, maybe uh, three, four months ago. And, and so it was on my mind again. I go, oh man, this issue of brokenness. God is asking for brokenness in human hearts so that he can rend the heavens. He's asking for brokenness in our own hearts so that he can rend the heavens. There's this connection between the brokenness on the earth and the brokenness in the heavens. And so um, I want to kind of fast forward now. And I want to look at Isaiah 6. And I want to illustrate how this brokenness works. There's many examples in the scripture of people who were broken and in their brokenness, God met them with power. Um, but I think Isaiah's is just as good as any and, and, I, and it's really uh, instructive for us. And so let me just read this passage, Isaiah 6. I actually preached on this passage this weekend in the missions conference and I'm gonna hit it again today, but just from a different angle. Uh, so verse one, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. This is, this passage is so full. Let me just double check. Am I in the right room? How many want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Just, okay, good. I'm just double checking. I know you do. I just want to get you, get your attention. So there's an appointed time in this passage, and that appointed time is in the year that King Uzziah died. And I feel like this is something the Lord is shouting right now to the church, to us. He's shouting it in the earth. He's shouting it through our worship songs. It's interesting to me the songs that were even picked this morning because those songs are about being broken. That song, Come to the Altar, that song, New Wine, it's all about being broken and coming to Jesus. And oftentimes, when the Lord is trying to get something into the heart of the church, he puts it into the mouth of the worship leaders. Because we don't remember our preachers, we remember our psalmists. The tune sticks with you and it gets stuck in your heart. And so he's actually inviting us into a legitimate brokenness that he can then visit with power. So in Isaiah's life, there was this appointed time and that time was the year that King Uzziah died. And that is a very, very significant moment. And some of us know Uzziah, we know the story. Most of us don't. We just kind of know it maybe from this passage or maybe right now you're hearing this for the first time. Well, Uzziah was a king who reigned for 52 years and the Bible said that he actually did right in the sight of the Lord. He did really, really well for a large majority of his life, but then something happened to him. He got strong. He got strong. And the Bible says when he got strong, his heart got lifted up. I'll just read the verse. Second Chronicles 26, 16 says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Uzziah being a king, he wasn't anointed to do the priestly duties. But on one certain day, he decided that being a king wasn't enough. Obeying God in the calling that he had wasn't enough. And that what he wanted to do was step into something else. He was, he was trying to get into something he wasn't ordained to do. He was more interested in some outcome than he was in obedience. And I see this in the church often. People are interested in the outcomes that God desires without actually wanting to obey the Lord. It's a, it's a weird irony, but it happens all the time. We try to get things done our own way. We try to do them on our own strength. We try to hurry the processes. I know about trying to hurry a process. I know about having a hard time waiting. I, 
Sometimes I feel like, man, you hardwired impatience into me. Like I need all of that impatience out so I can learn to wait and be patient on your leadership. Well, I think Uzziah is a picture of that. Like here he is and he's wanting something to happen because offering that incense was a, is, is a uh, token of ministering to the Lord. It was as if he was, he was going before the Lord to try to get God to do something on his behalf and he was hurrying a process instead of waiting. And when he does that, the priests are telling him, no, you are out of your lane. You are out. You are in disobedience. This is not what you're called to do. Stop. And he is enraged because he's so full of himself. He's enraged with the priests trying to limit him. And in that moment, he's swinging that censer with the incense in it. Leprosy breaks out on his arm and crawls all the way up. And he becomes a live leper right in front of everyone. The judgment of God fell on him. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. You see, in the year that King Uzziah died, is a, it's a signpost. Because Uzziah was a king that represents moving in the arm of the flesh. Moving in the strength of men. Doing things in your own way, according to your own time, on your own plan. That's what Uzziah represents. And in the year that King Uzziah died is another way of saying, in the year the arm of the flesh ceases. In the year doing it in your own strength stops. In the year the strong arm of man is destroyed. The next thing that comes is, I saw the Lord. You see, so there's this place of brokenness that has to happen on the earth and then God breaks in with this incredible revelation. The glory of God is revealed. And this is what Isaiah sees. He sees the Lord sitting on the throne in his temple and he's wearing a robe and the robe has an amazingly long train. You know, monarchs of old, they would wear these long, these long robes. And it's known that the longer the train on the robe, the more majesty and the more glory that that monarch had. And his robe was so long that it wasn't just sort of, you know, a few feet on the ground. This, this train on the robe that, that the Lord is wearing is going up and it's actually filling the entire room. He says, in the year that the flesh died, revelation broke in and glory broke in. Beloved, I believe this is a word for us. In the year that we stop counting on the arm of the flesh, in the year that we, we quit trying to make something happen ourselves and we start waiting on the Lord, in the year that Uzziah died, the revelation of God breaks in. It's the brokenness on the earth that releases the brokenness in the heavens. And man, when he sees the Lord, this isn't some little glimpse. This is the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, the glory of his robe is filling the entire room. And he's seeing him in a way that he realizes, I'm a prophet, he's, he's thinking, but I don't even know him. He goes, woe is me, I'm completely undone. And he sees these six-winged, mighty seraphim. That word seraphim, it just means burning ones. 
They're burning because they're staring at the one who is a consuming fire. So as they're beholding, they're becoming. They're, they're the picture of what it means to, to wait on the Lord and to be filled with his glory. And, and so there they are staring at him. And these, these seraphim, these holy ones, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What's interesting to me is when Isaiah sees him, he's, he's thinking, this whole room is filled with his glory. And the seraphim go, yeah, you don't really know who you're dealing with. The whole earth is full of his glory. Because Isaiah in a moment is struck with this idea that every room that the Lord ever steps into is instantly filled with his glory. And the seraphim are going, you have no idea who he is. Because every crevice of creation is filled with his glory. The entire universe is filled with his glory. Do you know the one who's holy, holy, holy? And this encounter of the glory of God, it, it's, it's so magnificent, it, it, it's so intense that this prophet says the only thing that really makes sense in that moment, he says, woe is me. I used to be confused when I'd read that passage. I think, man, maybe he should say like, praise the Lord. I, I mean, he's seeing God. I mean, hallelujah. Something like that, right? He goes, no, woe is me. Because he, he realizes that who God is is completely different, completely other than, far greater than what he'd ever imagined. And beloved, I'll tell you something. If we want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our family, in our lives, in our job, in this region, we have to be able to deal with the God who's gonna come in a way that's so far different than what we're imagining. So far greater than what we've, had, we, we've got you know, in our mind. If we only have you know, room for the God that is the, the image of what we think he is, we're, we're, not even, we're not even crying out to the real God. Because he's so far greater than what is in any of our understanding. You came here this morning to church and you wanted to touch something in God. And I want to tell you, there is a transcendence of who God is that's far greater than what any of us even know. And if he would even give us one glimpse of the holy, 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 we would be stunned for months. I mean, Ezekiel, when he sees him for seven days, he goes and sits with the elders and he stares at them. I just stared at you for three seconds and it was weird. He did seven days straight and he couldn't talk. One encounter with the glory of God. He couldn't talk, he was struck mute. And the Lord says, you're not gonna speak until I put a word in your mouth. So the next time he did speak, because all the elders are like, this guy has gone off the deep end, and then the next time he did speak, it was, thus saith the Lord, and man, it got everybody's attention. And I'm just telling you, there is an encounter with the holy, holy, holy that leaves you like Ezekiel, that leaves you like Isaiah, and beloved, 
If we really want the real thing, and that's what I believe God is inviting us into, is that the real deal, not just a little dabble do you Christianity, but the real deal that completely undoes everything and redoes it the way that God wants it, I'm telling you, we're going to have to deal with the God who is far grander than what we've ever imagined. And so Isaiah, the prophet, in the middle of this encounter, he says, woe is me, I am undone. That word undone means I am destroyed, I am crushed, I am cut off. He goes, it's the year that the flesh died, and now that I see God, I'm dying. There's a brokenness happening in me because he's coming in a way that I never imagined. And then he says this interesting phrase. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I just thought, well, that's weird. Like, was he like, a, like did he have a problem with cussing? I, I, I mean, I don't know how you think when you read the Bible. That's kind of, I just go, huh. Isaiah was a cusser. He was a <laughs> Florgan, Mergen, Florgan guy. You know, like, <laughs> and that's not what it is. What he's saying is, I'm finally seeing him. And everything I've said about him, compared to who he really is, it's absolutely perverse. Because he's holy, holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips, because my lips have never spoken rightly of his glory. It's shocking. He goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people of unclean lips. In other words, we're talking about God in a way that's so casual, so normal, as if we really know him. He goes, and I'm seeing him now, and I'm realizing all of my words are absolutely perverse in light of who he is. See, when the holy, holy, holy comes on you, when you get a little glimpse of that, everything changes. And this is what the Lord wants to release in Gwinnett County. He, he doesn't want to just release a little evangelism. He wants to release the holy, holy, holy that undoes this entire county. He wants to release the holy, holy, holy that, that sh sends shockwaves all over the state, all over this nation. He wants to bring America back to her knees and back to himself. He's not looking for another church growth mechanism. He doesn't need it. And this is really what the death of Uzziah is about, it's about the coming to the end of ourselves. It's about coming to the end of our strength, coming to the end of our ability. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, we break on the earth, heaven breaks open, and then when heaven breaks open, everything changes. Everything changes. And this is something that I really wanna just, now just kinda bring us to. We, we are so tuned, and I said this last week, but it just bears repeating, we're so tuned to human strength. Everywhere we look, it's another expression of human strength. I mean, you look in business, and we're talking about market leaders and, and, and global influencers and, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, and, you know, industry and commerce and, you know, all this stuff. And, and then you just, you just look at, like, you know, uh, any of our social media, you know, this, this person had this many followers and this many likes, and then they went viral. And, and what we want, are we, what we humans want is we want uh, as much platform position and persona in front of men. We love the praise of men. 
And so because we love the praise of men, we hate human weakness. And if we could just settle it, that God hates human strength and loves human weakness, it would so change the way we think about everything. God is not opposed to weakness, he's opposed to strength. Are you tracking with this? He goes, I'm opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. As long as we are repulsed by weakness, we will repel God. Did you hear that? As long as we're repulsed by weakness, we will repel God. He wants us to settle the issue that he loves weakness, he loves brokenness, and that is the vacuum that draws his presence and manifests his grace. But as long as we are so committed to propping up our strength and proving ourselves strong and having you know, all of our abilities and our strengths and the arm of the flesh on display and all of our you know, resumes and our degrees and our letters after our names and all of our special human accolades, as long as we're committed to human measurements as our uh, uh, sign of strength, God can't meet that. He goes, let me see that resume again. Yep, let's just hand that to the burning ones. Poof. He goes, what are those little letters after your cute little name? Let's just burn those up. Because while we're propping ourselves up with all of our measurements, he's going, is there any room for me since you guys are so awesome? I'm telling you, beloved, he's trying to get us comfortable with brokenness, comfortable with weakness, not that we would live in the flesh, but that we would invoke his grace. Now, this is where I felt like the Lord wanted me to just, just nail today. This topic is something that we really hate, and it's failure. And I want to tell you something. Failure from a human mentality is the last thing that any of us want. But from heaven's mentality, failure is a pathway to brokenness, and brokenness is a pathway to breakthrough. Listen, failure is a pathway to brokenness, and brokenness is a pathway to breakthrough. And, and so here's our challenge. We hate failure so much, we will dress up our failures and call them something else. And it's like trying to put lipstick on a pig. Because everybody's looking at that thing going, that was ugly, dude. You're like, no, no, here, a little makeup on it. See, it's not bad. And they're looking at that thing, they're going, no, that is a hog, that's a swine by any other name. That thing is pork, that's bacon. And you're putting, you're putting lipstick on it and blush and it's making it worse. And what we do is we try to talk our failures into a success. Well, the Lord, and you know, God was, there's, thing, there's unseen things God was doing through that, and we just don't ever know. And I'm going, yeah, what he was doing in that, the unseen thing is he was crushing you. He was crushing you because you're so strong. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. I'm looking at stuff in ministry that the Lord, the Lord, the Lord did, and then I go, yeah, I don't know what God was doing. That didn't go the way I expected, but hey, God knows, and there's probably people that got ministered to somewhere over there somehow. 
And he goes, no, no, no. I was leading you into something and allowing you in your strength to try to bring it to pass so that you could fail. And then once you fail, you cry out for help. Because we are so full of ourselves, we won't even ask him for help until we fail. I was talking uh, to a leader that I really respect recently, and I was talking about this concept of failing, and, and he just said to me, he goes, I did an entire ministry thing. I, I birthed a whole ministry, and, 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 and after a few years, it just failed. He goes, and this whole time, I've been dressing it up. I've been talking about how God did all the things we'd never seen before through it, and he did all these cool stuff. He goes, and my wife's been telling me, no, it was a failure. <laughs> he goes, my wife's been telling me, we, we failed. He goes, but because I was so unwilling to admit it, I couldn't see that God led me into failure to break me. Some of you have never gotten an F on a paper. On, when you were in school, you never got an F. I got a few Fs. My parents don't know that. They don't now because I just said it, but I never brought them home. But when you get an F, that red, that, that red flag on top of that, that's just like, oh, it's the worst. And I like, you know, you start working on it, trying to change it into an A, you know. <laughs> and this is, this is the human state. Because none of us ever want to be a failure. And there's a ton of us where we've got a stack of red Fs that we've hidden away we don't want to show those to anyone. And the Lord's going, could you just bring me the Fs? And then I can start working on you. But as long as you're hiding all the Fs and stuffing them away in a little compartment in your soul that no one else knows about, because no one can see that you're a failure. He goes, I can't work with that. But if you'll be honest. See, he actually will lead us into failure. He leads us into failure. When things don't go right, do you think God is surprised? Do you think the Lord's leading you into something? You, you get there, it all blows up, it goes crazy, haywire, and God's going, oh my goodness. I was sure that was gonna succeed. How did that fail? Angels, anybody? Living creatures, do you guys know? No, God will put you on the path. And sometimes the outcome is actually heaven's outcome, but he lets you do it in your own strength. So you get the F so that you'll actually give up. So then he can ultimately scoop you up in grace and enable you into the very thing he's trying to get out of you. Yeah. Our problem is we try and try again. And we believe unbiblical Bible verses that are not in the Bible like God helps those who help themselves. And we're not willing to just admit it. I failed. I blew it. It's humiliating, isn't it? You ever had to look your spouse in the eye and just go, I messed that up. Well, you know, I've got people counting on me and I'm in business and I'm, you know, I got this and that and, you, you know, I can't fail. I, I have these people, and they, you know, they're, they're families and they're, uh, we can't fail. 
Well, okay, as long as you can't fail, God can't fill you with grace. I'm not, try, I'm, I'm not saying go out there and, and try to destroy things. I'm saying get honest about your inability so God can raise you. Get, get honest uh, about your own weakness and your own brokenness so God can fill you. Because failure is a path to brokenness. And brokenness is the path to breakthrough. How do I know? Because in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. When the flesh fails, I saw the Lord. And I don't know about you, but man, you want to get me crying, talk about what's possible in God. Like, talk about how, how much of God there is available and how little we're seeing. And if brokenness is the pathway to breakthrough, break me, crush me, and after you crush me, crush me. Have you ever thought about this? We sang it this morning. How do you get wine? How do you get it? Crush the grapes. How do you get oil? Crush the olives. What ground produces 30, 60, and 100? The broken ground. Hard ground doesn't receive a seed. It has to be broken for it to be fruitful. It has to be broken for it to be fruitful. As long as we're polishing the thing up, making it look good on the outside and everything just looks just so great and it's just perfect and praise God, we're doing it for Jesus. As long as it's like that, God's got no room. And I'm not saying don't try to be excellent. Try to be excellent. But when you jack it up, just admit it. We messed that up. We're human, we're trying, we love Jesus, he's helping us. <laughs> I know you're not gonna hear this in the success seminar, but whatever. <laughs> we aren't trying to get a success seminar. We want the glory of God. And no flesh glories in his presence. No flesh glories in his presence. Moses, the murderer, became the deliverer, the failure. David, the adulterous, rapist, murderer, was the man after God's own heart. Peter, who denied Jesus. I don't know the man. He did have a problem with cussing. Because Isaiah didn't, Peter did. He goes, beep, beep, beep. I, see, I'm not one of them. He was cussing to prove he couldn't be one the holy man. He denied him. With Jesus being flogged and beaten and accused and assailed. And the Lord, you know, the movies always depict the Lord looking on. And I believe he was. There's the Lord looking on. And I don't know him. And immediately the cock crows three times for the third time. And that's it. And he becomes an apostle who's raising the dead. I mean, whose shadow is healing the sick. Paul murdered Christians. It's a failure. That's a failure. 
And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wrote the treatise on being weak. And the, probably the greatest words mankind's ever seen on the grace of God from the lips of Paul. Because it was in his deep brokenness that God was able to meet him and release revelation. Because in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. See, that year that King Uzziah died, it's your place of brokenness. It's your moment of pulling the Fs out of the drawer. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's the moment you quit operating in the arm of the flesh. You decide, I won't rely on my own strength anymore. I'm not gonna prop myself up anymore. I saw the Lord. I'm gonna read this quote by Art Katz. If you've never read anything by Art Katz, you must. There's a book, Apostolic Foundations. I recommend everyone read it. It is fantastic. You can find the text free online. But let me read this. He says, to what degree, therefore, must failure precede a true appropriation of one's calling? It was true for Paul and Moses and needs to be for us. Are we willing for the humiliation of failure allowed and established by God himself despite our best well-meaning intentions? It is only out of the debris and death of that failure and the mortification of it that a man can be formed who God can send. Can a man be formed in any other way? There is something about failure, especially when it is born out of the best well-meaning intentions to serve God that does the depth of work in the human soul like nothing else can. Peter failed dismally, but out of that great failure came a great apostle. Some of you are spending so much energy right now trying to hide your failure. Some of you, it's a sin failure. It really is. It's a sin failure. You're in a habit. You're, you're in a, a moral thing that's not right. It's, it, you know it's against God, and you're trying to tuck it away and hide it away, and the Lord is inviting you out of that. He's inviting you into holiness, and he's just saying, would you just confess to me? Just bring me your F. Bring me your ashes. I, he goes, I know what to do with ashes. I turn them into beauty. Some of you, you're striving and striving and striving in something God called you to do and you're unwilling to say that it's, it's an F in your own strength. And God goes, would you just stop and let me resurrect it. Let it die and let me resurrect it. And I know, look, I know that's not going to leave you jumping and dancing and hollering on your way out of here. But if we ever want the glory of God to invade our lives, we have to get real. we got to get real about our brokenness, real about our failures, real about our inadequacies. And it's in that place God meets us. And he turns the ashes to beauty. That I skipped it because Gabe preached it already, but it was in the message, Isaiah 61, what Jesus is anointed to do. It's really clear, the anointing that's on Jesus is to heal the broken heart, to bind up their wounds, to give recovery of sight to the blind, and to comfort all who mourn. 
and, and see mournful people, they would wear these garments of mourning. They would put ashes on their own heads. They would go about in tears and in pain with, with their failure before them or the brokenness before them or the loss in front of them. Morning, morning, morning. He goes, you know what I do in your morning? He goes, I bring you close to myself. And, and in that, what I do is I remove that garment of heaviness and I put a garment of glory on you. He goes, and I remove the ashes off of your head. He goes, and I put beauty on your head. And that, that term for beauty, he goes, it's a, it's a, it, that, that term for beauty, it literally means a headdress of glory. He goes, I wrap you in glory if you'll bring to me your brokenness. And I don't know about you, I do know about you, and I know about me. I want the glory of God manifest in my life. I want power of God manifest in our spiritual family and in this region. Sometimes I really, I just feel like that phrase that Jesus said in the garden, if there's any other way, could this cup pass for me? But not my will, your will be done. I mean, he's staring at going through the crushing of the cross. The only way to bring the sons to glory is through the crushing of the cross. And beloved, that's our journey too. Crushing. Breaking. It's where he releases his glory. Let's stand. There's a breakthrough for the broken. <sighs> Listen, I, I wanna call you out of posturing. I, I wanna call you out of propping yourself up, pointing to your accomplishments. I, I'm pretty sure God doesn't care about any of our resumes, the good and the bad. I'm pretty sure he doesn't care about any of it. He just wants a heart that'll be fully his. He just wants a people that'll come to him and say, God, I'm nothing without you. And I need you. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And whatever the brokenness is in your life, whatever the thing is that you're propping up, whatever the F's are that are tucked away in a drawer that no one else knows about. I want, you to, I want you to take them and put them in your hands right now. Just hold your hands before you and put the, put the brokenness there. Some of you, it's sin. It's just a sin thing. And you're, you gotta give it to him. Some of it is trying to get men's approval. You're trying to prove that you're okay and you're not. You're trying to prove you're strong. There's ashes and stuff. And I know we've invited us to give our brokenness to the Lord so many times. I just, I can't get off of it until we finally do. And I just want you to hold it before the Lord and give it to him. Or take my brokenness. Take my weakness. 
Take my arrogance. Take my sin. Take my flesh. Take it all. Take it all. The end of Uzziah. The end of the flesh. The end of striving. The end of faking. The end of proving to everyone that I'm good. Here I am. Because at the end of the day, no one else's opinion matters. No one else's perspective matters. It's only the eye of heaven that matters. So Lord, even in this 9 a.m. service, would you take our ashes and change them for beauty? Would you take our brokenness and release glory? Lord, we believe there's a breaking on the earth that's met with a rending of the heavens. So I'm asking you even right now, as we offer you our brokenness, would you rend the heavens and come down? Rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to bowl, boil, to make your name known among the nations. Rend the heavens and come, come down, God. God, we thank you for this beautiful spiritual family. We thank you for so many hearts that are so given to you. God, I pray, take us to a deeper measure of yieldedness that you can release your presence and your glory on us. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.